there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are going to close out a series uh, that we've been in for the entire summer uh, entitled Gone Fishing. Uh, And in this series, we've been looking at fishing stories that are centered in and around the life of Jesus. In particular, how these fishing stories should prompt us to be a witness for Jesus Christ to the people that uh, God places in our lives. And so... If you've been with us for the entire duration of the series, let me just do this real quick. We've already answered the who, the what, the when, the where, and the why uh, in the series. The who is us. It wasn't just the apostles or just preachers or just elders and deacons and missionaries who who are called to witness. Jesus calls all of us to do this. The what is fishers of men. Uh, We are called to fish for people. So no matter what you do for a career, Jesus calls all of us into a second vocation. Uh, We're all uh, fishing for people. We're all trying to introduce them to Jesus Christ so that he could save them. The when is now. Uh, It's not next week. It's not after I get out of high school, I'll be a witness, or after I graduate from college, or when we start having children, or when those children finally leave our home, or when I'm finally retired, then I'll be a witness. Uh, Today is the day of salvation. This is a lifestyle. We answered the where, uh, the marketplace. In the communities that we live in, work in, shop in, uh, or you could use the the analogy of the sea where Jesus talks about casting a net into the deep dark sea. We cast the net of the gospel into this dark world. Um, So we answered the, uh, the where and then last week we talked about the why. Why are we fishers of men? Uh, Because Jesus is our Lord. Um, And he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And his number one command is is for us to be fishers of men, for us to go into the world, to, to all corners and make disciples. Today, as we close this series out, we're going to look at the how. How do we go about doing this? How do we fish for people? What's the proper strategy uh, and or technique for winning people to Jesus Christ? Now, in order to get some insight into this, we're going to look at one last fishing story that centers around the life of Jesus. So let me just set it up. Um, This event that we're going to look at this morning uh, happens after Jesus has been crucified, after he spent three days in the tomb, and he's risen from the grave. While that was going on, a lot of the apostles uh, were kind of scattered. Uh, They were scared. They didn't know what to do. They were waiting. They were in somewhat of a holding pattern. And so we're going to be in John chapter 21 this morning. Uh, We looked at this passage briefly a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to go further in the text and we're going to go deeper into the passage uh, itself. 
So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 21, or you can use the YouVersion app. Uh, all the notes are in there, and of course, they're going to come up on the screen. So John chapter 21, and I'm actually going to uh, not read verses 1 and 2 for time's sake. We're going to jump in right at verse 3, where it says this, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Okay, so remember, they're not exactly sure what to do. Jesus has been crucified. And so Simon Peter is, or Peter is getting antsy and, 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 and he's afraid. And when we're afraid and we're antsy, sometimes we do things that are familiar to us. Well, what was most familiar to him, his whole life was spent fishing. So he said, you know what? I'm going to go back to what's comfortable. I'm going fishing. Then the text says, they said to him, Paul's right there, the they is, if you, verses 1 and 2 inform us that there are six other apostles with them. So there's seven of the apostles that are going to go fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. See, this is the resurrected Jesus, so they don't even recognize him. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now uh, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So if you're familiar with the Bible and you grew up in the church and you're familiar uh, with the life of Jesus and the harmony of the Gospels, um, you may recognize that this is an event that's very similar to an event that happened three and a half years ago when Jesus was starting his ministry and he was going to, to call people to follow him. And the, and the first group of people that he pinpoints are Peter, his brother Andrew, and their fishing partners, James and John. All right? And during that particular event, just like this event, they had fished all night long and they've caught nothing. So they're 0 for 2 here in scripture uh, on, on fishing. So they, they caught zero fish. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Do you remember Jesus asked Peter, can I stand in your boat uh, on the water because I want to preach? Uh, there's a crowd on the shore and there's no, there's no such thing as microphones back then. So I want people to hear me. And Peter says, yes, he gets done. Jesus gets done speaking. And then he and Peter have this interaction. So let's just flip over to Luke for a minute. Luke chapter five, just to see it picking up in verse four. And when he had finished speaking, when Jesus was done speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night long and we took in nothing. Peter's trying to be nice. We said this before, like, hey, uh, you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. You, you shouldn't be telling me how to fish. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And if you remember that story, that prompts Peter to fall at the feet of Jesus and worship. And then Jesus stands him up and says, listen, from now on, you're not going to fish for fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men, and you're going to follow me. Okay, so we're going to flip back over to John chapter 21. Uh, but before we do, uh, you know, I... I think what was going through Peter's head in John chapter 21 was this, is that Jesus had died, 
He had, he had risen, but no one knows where he's at now. And, and perhaps Peter thought, you know what? My days of apostle apprenticeship, apprenticeship is, they're over. Uh, Jesus is gone. And so I, I, I guess my ministry is over too. And so I'm going to go back and do what's comfortable. I'm going to go back and do what I know best. I'm going to go fishing. But like many fishing trips for Peter, it was a bust. They caught nothing. And then Jesus is standing on the shore. They don't recognize him. So let's pick back up in John 21, verse 7. The disciple whom Jesus loved, let me just stop right there. Uh, whenever you see that phrase, that's John. Uh, I don't know if he's being pretentious or he's trying to stick it to the other apostles, but he always refers to himself as, well, I'm the one that Jesus loved the most. That's what he's saying. Uh, the one that's closest to Jesus. So, so John, um, the disciple that, that Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. You notice the punctuation. He doesn't say it. He shouts it. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. So he puts his jacket on. For he was stripped for work. And he, notice that. He was stripped for work. This wasn't a recreational fishing trip. He went back to work. He was stripped for work and he, I love this imagery, threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from land, about a hundred yards off. So I love this. Peter throws on his jacket because the water was probably incredibly cold. It was very frigid, but he couldn't wait. When he saw the Lord, he just leaps into the water like with blind faith, uh, and he wants to get to Jesus as fast as humanly possible. Now, Peter gets a bad rap in the New Testament, but here's what I love about Peter. Right here, this shows us a picture that he is just unashamedly and unapologetically in love with Jesus Christ. When he sees him, he wants to make a beeline to get to him as quick as possible. The only thing he could think of to do in that moment was to get to Jesus. He didn't care about all the fish that they had just caught caught in the net. He just wanted to get to the Lord. I love that. As, as a father of five children, uh, here's what I love. Uh, once a month, I'm gone for a couple of days um, away from my family. I, I have to spend the night in a hotel and I, and I miss them. But every time I come home, my youngest son, Deacon, I don't know if he has a sixth sense or what, but as soon as I pull into the driveway, he, he knows I'm there. And before I can turn my truck off and open the door, he comes running down those stairs uh, to greet me because he is just so excited to, to see me. Now, he's 10 years old. I can't imagine him being 17 doing that, so I'm going to relish it as much as possible. Um, but I feel like it was that kind of moment for Peter when he realized that that was Jesus standing on the shore. Now, what makes this even more remarkable to me is the way that Peter and Jesus parted company right before Jesus was crucified. If you remember the story, uh, Jesus was about to, to be arrested and he knew it. Uh, and, and there was some argument between the apostles and, um, and Jesus tells Peter, uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, hey, before the rooster crows by the end of the day, by the you're, you're going to deny me three times. Remember, do you guys remember what Peter's response was? 
He said, I'm not going to do that. Those other people, the disciple whom Jesus loved, those people, they're going to deny you, but I will die for you, Lord. There is no way that I'm going to deny you. So let's go to Luke 22 real quick. Picking up in verse 48, Peter has already denied Jesus once. So we're going to pick up during the second denial. And a little later, someone else saw him, Peter, and said, you're, one of, you're also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. Galileans talked a little bit funny, so they, maybe they had a southern accent, accent, a southern twang. Like, you talk like those people down in Galilee. Yeah, I know that you were with Jesus. But Peter said, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, while those words were coming out of his mouth, the rooster crowed. And look, he's close enough to Jesus that they can exchange glances here. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. So the last time that Peter and Jesus were together, when Jesus was still in the flesh here, it was betrayal, it was failure, and it was bitterness for Peter. But in spite of all that, when he sees Jesus, he jumps in the water and rushes to get to the Lord. And so as we are talking about how to fish for men and women, how to win people uh, to Christ, here's the first place I want everyone to check. I, we all need to check our hearts. And we all need to ask this question. Do I unashamedly, unapologetically love Jesus? Am I madly and deeply in love with him? Is he my everything? Because the deeper our love for Christ is, the more apt we are to follow him and fish for men. So let's go back to John chapter 21. We've got Jesus standing on the shore. Throw out your nets. Full of fish. John says, it's the Lord. Peter goes swimming. He reaches the shore. Now remember, the last time their eyes met when Jesus was in the flesh, Peter was denying Jesus for the third time. But look what happens next. I love verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. So not only is Jesus standing there waiting for them, but he's also cooked breakfast. Now he cooked fish for breakfast. I'm not exactly sure uh, what the strangest thing you've ever eaten for breakfast is. Maybe it's cold pizza or cake or soup. I, I don't know. When I was in high school, my, my stepmother used to make these incredible pork chops, and we'd always have leftovers. So I'd grab one of those and gnaw on that on, on the way to school. I've had some weird things for breakfast, but I've never had fish sticks for breakfast. Um, in America, we're not really used to having fish for breakfast. Um, unless you go to like a Jewish bakery and you have bagels and lox. Other than that, you know, fish is not something we have for breakfast. But Jesus cooks this fish. He's prepared it. Now, in the context of the story, it's not the fish that's interesting to me. It's the fire. 
Notice what kind of fire it is. It's a charcoal fire. This is rare in the New Testament. People used driftwood, especially around the Sea of Galilee. They, charcoal was expensive. You didn't use charcoal. In fact, charcoal fires are only mentioned two times in the entire New Testament. The first, or, or the, the one, is what we're looking at, John chapter 21. Let me show you another place that it's mentioned, just three chapters earlier in John's narrative. And this is John's account of, or snippet of John's account of Peter's denial and betrayal of Jesus. Look at this, John 18, 17, and 18. Servant girl said to Peter, you are also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. So, so the last time that Peter and Jesus had seen each other, Peter was standing around a charcoal fire denying Jesus. And now, when Jesus comes back, he builds not just a, a fire, he builds a charcoal fire for Peter. And I don't think there's any coincidence that he uses charcoal rather than driftwood. Because I don't think Jesus does anything that's coincidental. You see, Christ is about to put Peter in charge of his flock. But there's some healing that needs to happen. So he builds this charcoal fire to lead Peter back to the time of his sin. Now, what this tells me is this, and I want you to hear this. Jesus does not expect any of us to be perfect in order to go fish for men, to go fish for women, to win people to Christ. And one of, if not the biggest reason, before I say this, remember that statistic we talked about a few weeks ago? Um, Wheaton College, the Billy Graham uh, evangelism, uh, Evangelistic College said that nine out of ten Christians will never share their faith their entire life. That's troubling. And one of the biggest reasons that people will not witness to others is because they feel like they're being hypocritical. How can I fish for people? How can I witness to people around me? How can I tell them about Jesus when they know the sin, they see the sin I have in my life? Can I give you a newsflash? You're a hypocrite. Every last one of you sitting in those chairs out there, every last one of you watching online, all of you are hypocrites. I I'm a hypocrite. Peter, in the text, was a hypocrite. Okay, he didn't just sin. He denied knowing who Jesus was. Think about how that hurt Jesus. I, I have the world's best wife, but I want you to think about this. What if I decided to take my wedding ring off and walk around like she wasn't my wife? And someone said, aren't you married to her? And I'd be like, I don't know the woman. And they said, no, 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 we've seen you with her. I'm going to tell you again, I have no idea who that woman is. I don't know her. And then again, and then in the text, when you, when you break it down in the Greek, Peter's actually cursing. And so I don't, I don't know the blankety-blank woman. How much do you think that would hurt? 
Lindy, my wife. So Peter, just like the rest of us, he's a, he's a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites. So when people say, I ain't going to go to church because you're a bunch of hypocrites, you just say, come on, you'll fit in with the rest of us, right? We, we all are. That is the point. That's why Jesus what he did what he did on the cross. He died for all of us because we're hypocritical. How wonderful is it to know that the same mercy that he displays to Peter is available to us. When we fail in our walk with Jesus, I believe he stands there on the shores of our sin with a charcoal fire waiting to gently restore us by asking the question, how much do you love me? So for time's sake, I'm going to skip a few verses. Jesus eats breakfast with them. They finish up this fish and bread breakfast. And then Jesus has this conversation with Peter. All right, it is in this conversation that we're about to read where I believe we find the answer to the question, how do I go about fishing for men? How do I go about fishing for women? How do I go about witnessing and winning people to Christ so he can save them? Let's look at it. John 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Push the pause button for a second. There's speculation about what he's talking about here. Um, some say he's talking about the other apostles that are with him. Simon, do you love me more than these guys? I, I, I don't believe he's talking about that. I believe Jesus is pointing directly at that net full of fish. Simon. Don't you love me more than these? Three and a half years ago, I called you to be a fisher of men, not a fisher of fish. And when times got hard, you just quit and you went fishing. Don't, don't you love me more, more than these? Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says back to Peter, feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then he said, tend to my sheep. And then he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? John gives us some insight to how Peter's feeling here. It says, Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And so Peter's response was, Lord, you know everything and you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, the, let's talk about the obvious first. The obvious is the beauty here. The obvious is that three times Peter stood around a charcoal fire and said, I don't know the man. I'm not with him. I'm not Galilean. I don't know Jesus. And three times Jesus reinstates Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I love that imagery because that imagery gives us hope, right? That imagery tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ can cover a multitude of our sins. That during our walk with Christ on this earth, our flesh will fail. But Jesus Christ has overcome the flesh and made sacrifice and atonement for our sins so that we can walk in freedom. Amen. But right here in these three verses, I think we find the how when it comes to fishing for people. And it's not complicated. 
Before we get into that, I want to ask you a question. Am I the only person in here that gets about four phone calls a week from a robot asking me about my car warranty? <laughs> How ridiculous is that? Like, three or four times a week, someone calls, it's a robot call, and they're like, your warranty's expired. And I'm like, I don't even own a Buick. What are we talking about here? And so, man, I absolutely hate these robocalls. But I'm getting old, and I'm old enough to remember what a lot of you are old enough for, to remember. Life before robocalls, we had telemarketers. You remember that? That was a live person who would call you, and they had a script in front of them, and they were selling something. Sir, do you like to go on vacation? Why, of course I do. Well, let me tell you about our timeshare, right? And so they had this script, and if they asked you a question and you said yes, you could almost hear them kind of reading through the script, and if you said no, they read the other line of the script, and they always stuck with, stuck with the script. You know, that might be a great thing to sell timeshares and expensive vacuum cleaners, but that's not how we sell the gospel, friends. Not with some script, not with some secret formula. You say this and you say that. And if you say it this way and they answer this way, go over here to the chart and you, and you say this. Now, now, churches have tried it this way and I get it. I get the motivation behind it. But it's, we've not been very successful when it comes to fishing for men. But by getting a bunch of people together and saying, all right, it's time, for, to, it's time to fish for men. Here's some tracks. Here's the script. Follow the script. Take them down the Roman road. Go to Romans uh, 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 6.1, Romans 8. All right, and follow the script. And I'm not dogging out the Roman road at all. But what I'm telling you is that's very ineffective. So how do we fish for men? You ready for the answer? It's super simple. Now, I realize some of you are going to leave here accusing me of a bait and switch because you came here for a formula. You came here for give me five points that I can say to this person. But that's not what I'm going to give you. You want to know how to fish for men? You want to know how to fish for women? Super simple. Feed his lambs. Tend to his sheep. Feed his sheep. You see, we don't have to know the Bible inside and out to win someone to Christ. When Jesus tells Peter this, the New Testament hadn't even started to be written. Peter was an uneducated fisherman. More than likely, he couldn't even read. Yet, Peter has this immense power as he walks in Christ. The first time he preaches the gospel, three thousand people 3,000 souls were saved and so it's not complicated how do we fish for men we love people like Jesus did we tend to his lambs we feed his sheep you know if you grew up in the church that Jesus often refers to people as sheep because sheep are helpless and, and let's be frank sheep can be kind of dumb all right, and, and you may be smart, but in the knowledge of who God is, you're not. None of us are, right? And sheep can be led astray pretty easily. So Jesus often refers to people as sheep. So remember this passage. We read it a couple of weeks ago. It's Matthew 9, 36. It says this, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, 
He had compassion for them. Now, why did he have compassion for them? Because they were harassed and helpless. Here's the money phrase. Like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is saying, Peter, if you love me, which I know you do, take care of these helpless sheep. Feed them. Tend to them. Nourish them. Because our, our world is a dark place. People are feeding on all kinds of deplorable evils over and over again. And they're dying. Jesus says, no, they're harassed and they're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Feed my sheep. So if you recall, before Jesus was an apostle, what did he do for, before Peter was an apostle, what did he do for a living? He's a fisherman, right? He was a fisherman, not a shepherd by training. He's used to nets and boats and water. Now he's called to feed sheep. These are very different tasks. The fisherman doesn't stay up all night protecting his fish from slaughter. The fisherman doesn't lovingly tend to each fish knowing that those fish will die and perish without the fisherman there to help him, them. As a matter of fact, the fish should rightly fear the fisherman who doesn't take their personal welfare to heart at all. Jesus says, no, you're not a fisherman anymore. I know you love me more than these, so feed my lambs. And I think this is the heart that Jesus wants all of us to have. With our words and with our actions, we radiate Jesus Christ. We win people to Christ by having compassion for them, by showing love, mercy, and hope to them. I, I, I know it's super simple, but I believe that's how it's done. Last week here at Elevate, a man gave his life to Christ and he was baptized after our, uh, after our 1030 service. I want to give you some information. Uh, I did not win this man to Christ. You know who did? His friend. His friend doesn't have a degree in Bible college, has never been a missionary. He's just a plain, ordinary friend. You know, what, you know how his friend did it? He didn't sit him down one day and say, you know what, I think it's time for us to take a road trip. We're going to go down the Roman road. All right, and we're going to go down this little formula here, and we're, I'm going to win you to Christ. He didn't quote a bunch of scripture at him. You know what he did? He fed the lambs. He showed him love, compassion, and mercy. And somewhere along the way, his friend wanted the peace and hope that this man had. And then he showed him and introduced him to Jesus Christ, told him that Jesus loved him no matter where he'd been, what he'd done, Jesus would forgive him. He invited him to church, and for three weeks solid, the man cried in the back of the church. The Holy Spirit was just stirring this man's heart. And then he finally couldn't contain himself anymore. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Simply because a man decided to be his friend. That's it. And this is great news for us. All we're called to do is look around for someone that needs to be loved. That's it. 
You know, what's cool to me is I've spent my whole life trying to do this, is I'm starting to see this manifest itself in my children. So I told you I have five children. I want to talk to you about my middle child, Calvin. He's 12 years old. Now, I feel a little bad for Calvin because not only is he a middle child, he's also a middle brother. So this poor kid has an older sister and an older brother that boss him around. And then he has a younger brother and a younger sister that cry when they don't get their way, right? So he's just like stuck in the middle. But man, he is just always so upbeat and he's kind of our outgoing kid. And I'm beginning to see this, this attitude of just tending to the sheep, loving the lambs, kind of manifest through him. And I didn't sit him down and I didn't take him down the Roman road or anything like that. He just watched us. And so we've got some neighbors that live behind us. And I'm going to guess uh, they're in their 80s. They're, they're pretty, pretty uh, advanced in age. And the husband is in, is in terrible physical shape. He can barely walk. Um, so Calvin just started going over there. Uh, we didn't tell him to. We didn't say anything. And just asked, hey, do you want me to pick up some sticks in your yard? Can I mow your grass? And so he's developed this incredible friendship with a lady named Norma. She's like 80 years old. And so when we can't find Calvin sometimes, we're like, where's Calvin? Oh, he's, you go around the street in our house, go to the back of our house and to their front, and there he is at, our, at the door just chit-chatting with Norma, just showing love and compassion. Is there anything I can do for you? Now, luckily, her and her husband, he's a retired minister. They're already saved. But I love that heart, just kindness, love, and compassion. You see, to, to be kind, to be loving, and to be compassionate is a lot harder than spending 15 minutes taking somebody down an outline saying, all right, now you know it, you win to Christ. And it sticks more that way. You understand what I'm saying? So we all need to have that attitude of compassion when it comes to fishing for men and women. I want to read one last verse to you, and I love this verse. About eight years ago, it kind of became one of my life's verses. It's when Paul writes to the Galatian church, and uh, it's Galatians 5, 6. I'm, I just want to read you the last part of that verse. It says this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Here's what Paul's saying. The only thing that matters when you strip away all the materialism, all the hunger for power and relationships and the things that, that we seek that we think are going to fulfill us, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is your faith, your belief that Jesus saves, your understanding that Jesus is Lord. That faith should manifest itself in expressing love to those people around us. You want to know how to fish for men and women? The only thing that counts is our faith. It's expressing itself through love. How do we fish for men? By showing kindness. Because you never know the impact that you're going to have on a person. I'd like to share with you as we close a, a story I read about a phenomenal uh, girl named Alyssa. Um, she's not a girl anymore. She's a grown woman. But when Alyssa was in high school, she was a, a very devout Christian. And she had these four best friends. So there was five of them, and they did everything together. These four girls didn't know the Lord. And so Alyssa would spend countless 
hours telling them about Jesus and just showing them love and compassion. They would ask her questions. They would talk about heaven and hell and the existence of evil and abortion and all these things. And she didn't force it on them. They were just asking and she was just doing life with them. Well, they all graduated and they all kind of went to separate colleges or started their careers. And, you know, when that happens, you, you're not as close as you used to be. And um, they, they kept in touch via email and Facebook. But, you know, it wasn't the same. She would come home from summers and they would all get together for a week or two. Um, but then she graduated college and they all kind of went their own separate way. And so they were like on all four corners of the country. They all just kind of moved away except one girl. And so they just basically lost total contact. Well, a couple of years later, Alyssa comes home for Christmas to see her family. And she's in a department store and she sees one of those girls that she had been so close to and spent so many hours just loving on. And she noticed that the girl was pushing a baby stroller. And the girl proudly introduced her new baby to Alyssa. And then Alyssa found out that this girl wasn't married, that she had had a child out of wedlock. And here's what she thought. She said, I, I thought, great. A lot of good all this talk about God did. She's pregnant. She's not even married. So towards the end of the conversation, Alyssa asked, hey, can I hold the, the baby? And she, her friend said, why? Yeah, of course. And as she was holding that infant, here's what her friend said to her. You know, Alyssa, you were partly to thank for this baby. Because if it wasn't for you and all the conversations that we had, I was planning on getting an abortion. But I kept remembering all that we talked about, and I just couldn't do that. And I'm so glad you were there for me. You see, you may think that your witness for Christ doesn't do any good. You might not even see any fruit, but it does. Now, obviously, the end goal, the ultimate hope is for all our friends and our loved ones to come and know who Christ is as their Lord and Savior. However, that's not the only result that comes with being a witness. You never know how God will use what you do for him. Even when you can't see the results of your obedience, you can trust that God will take what you do and use it to bear fruit. Here's what I love. I love this imagery of us being in heaven, right? We're there. First, we're over the initial shock at the magnitude and the greatness of who Jesus is. And then we can begin to look around for loved ones and then we see complete strangers that come up to us and say, I'm here because of you. And you think to yourself, who are you? What, what, what in the world are you talking about? You, you don't even know me, but 25 years ago, you know, before I died, before you died, before I died, um, you helped me with this situation. Or you, you said I was going to pray for you. Or you just invited me to church. You, you did something. And then we went our separate ways. But I'm here because you cast the net and you planted the seed. You never, we never, ever know the impact we have. So let me take you one last time. Remember the parable of the dragnet we talked about? Jesus said, listen, a man, the man throws the net, catches the fish, and then he sorts the good from the bad. That's what Jesus tells us to do. Cast the net. Don't worry about prejudging. Don't worry about sorting. Just show love and compassion. I'll sort out the rest. This is what we're called to do. How do we fish for people? By loving Jesus and feeding his sheep with love, compassion, and kindness. We're going to sing a, a response song.
in just a second, and, and the response is always, maybe someone has invited you here, uh, and they've showed you Jesus, and maybe you feel the Holy Spirit kind of stirring your heart, and you don't really know what to do with that, you don't know what it means to be saved, or to, to be all the fancy words that we throw around as theologians, sanctified, justified, glorified, propitiation, none of that matters. What matters is, is that Jesus saves, and he can save you. But we have, to, we have to submit to him. And so I'm going to be up front. If you have any questions about your faith or salvation, I'm going to be here. And when I pray, I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come up on both sides here. Um, and, and here's what I want you to imagine just for a second, if you would. I want you to imagine that our prayer team is standing around two charcoal fires. And, and, and maybe you have not been very diligent about sharing your faith. Maybe you even kind of feel like Peter a little bit, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I, but I want to ask you to do what Peter did. Cast yourself into the sea. Come up, have them pray with you, pray for you. And let Jesus reinstate and reinvigorate your faith to fish for men. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.